This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing games and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, June 9th of 2020, it's episode 180. In this episode, Chaotic Evil, part 9 of our ongoing alignment series, plus our player and GM pet peeves, splitting the party, some changes to our handling of controversial topics, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And unbeknownst to all of you, we have video running now for the first time yeah. ever, and it's kind of exciting. Well, mm-hmm. not the first time ever, but probably the first time since we had Jenny on as a regular host. I don't remember yeah. you and I doing it. We we definitely did for episode 50, but it's probably, and oh, we did for that latest episode where the two of us brainstormed. Those are the only two times that I can remember for sure that we definitely used it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But yeah, it's um, it's kind of nice to actually be able to look at the people we're talking to for yeah. the first, like, for one of the very few times in eight years. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and hopefully nice. we'll talk over each other less now, so that'll be nice. Yes. One would hope. Yeah. Yes. Old habits may die hard. We will see. A few things to note before we get in to our main topic, which is wrapping up our alignment episode series. We're talking about chaotic evil tonight. We will have one kind of capstone. Final wrap up. Okay, well, we're wrapping up the alignments themselves, and then we're going to talk about how all of it is awful and burn the whole structure. (laughs) No, you're going to talk about that. There there may be some conflicting opinions. There will be at least one. And speaking of burning down unjust structures. (laughs) (laughs) Ha! Okay. (laughs) We need to have a talk. We have tried over the course of nearly eight years of podcasting to be pretty apolitical. That's largely because we were already talking about things that were considered contentious on the internet, namely religion, and bringing that into a sphere that is traditionally a religious, if occasionally also anti-religious, depending on which flavor of nerdery you're sort of deep into. But there's a lot of things happening right now, a very critical Black Lives Matter movement uh, that's been reinvigorated by some truly horrific events. We're not going to be taking partisan sides, but we're definitely going to be talking about things that actually matter, like black lives and uh, the lives of everybody who's endangered by ridiculously over-the-top policing and uh, significantly more things. Basically, we've kind of hit the point where we can no longer be quiet and still talk about justice as Christians is kind of what it comes down to. (laughs) Again, we're not going to be taking partisan sides and If you get me started on this, you're going to hear a lot about how there's significant room for improvement on both sides. I say both sides because it's often framed as a a simple dichotomy. Keep in mind also that one third of our hosting staff isn't even in the United States. Well, that's yeah. another piece of it. Exactly. I will also say, Peter, and I'm going to call this out right now because Peter made a blog post about this about a week ago at this point, And he said... That one of our mutual friends is the most left person he knows. And I took great offense at that because I'm equally as left. I'm very left. And I I don't keep that quiet on my Twitter, which I believe is linked to... This is not a secret at all. No, if you're following me on Twitter either, it's it's not a secret either. I'm not... I'm probably not quite as far left as Jenny, but... You are not as far left as I am. (laughs) You know, it's... I can almost guarantee it. No, probably not. But I keep moving further and further that way. Again, we're not going to be talking about politics We're not going to bread pill you. 
We're not going to full on bread pill all the time, every time. That's not what we're here to do. We have hit the point where we can no longer be quiet because quiet and silence and just trying to stay apolitical has reached the point where we It's incompatible with our faith. Exactly. And it, it just, it cannot be done anymore. Probably should have happened a while back, but, Probably. you know. I mean, there, <laughs> there's but we're a, human there's, beings. What can yeah, we do? There's a whole host of pretty much the entire Bible has a, a message of take care of those who are mistreated or trod upon by society running all the way back to the beginning of it. All the yep. way to the end. I have a massive collection of verses about it. If you want to look it up and, you know, fact check me on that in the blog post that I wrote about this about a week ago that Jenny took mild umbrage to. So <laughs> I've also got some mild umbrage things with a lot of statements that have been put out. And I'm probably going to write a personal thing on that on my Twitter. Yeah. If you want to hear me talk about political statements. Yeah, and I have been but, struggling. I keep thinking I need to write something, but things are, A, moving quickly, and I don't adjust well to that. Just a personal problem. But also, I've got so much to say, I end up just kind of getting tongue-tied trying to get it out there and then do the whole anxious shutting down thing. It's not been particularly great, which, you know, problematic. I mean, I had a an existing framework that I could filter stuff through or I'd be right there with you. So yeah, that does help. We've brought, mentioned this blog post a couple of times. You need to go read Peter's blog post on the topic yes. because Peter's writing from a rather authoritative position on some of this. And it's really, really good. There's a lot that Peter's written that's very insightful, will surprise a number of people, I think, who read it and I think is is really good. Like, I really enjoyed reading it and then rereading it to kind of absorb all the bits that I know I missed the first time. I'm glad. Yeah, just um, (laughs) Jenny and Grant put themselves on the record for this, too. I am I am also somewhat left of center. I think I'm probably the token moderate in our group. But in the U.S., that means something (laughs) that means that I'm pretty far to the left by U.S. standards. On a global scale, eh, you know, (laughs) I mean, it's 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 complicated because we're talking, you know, depends on what you define as the center. And there's a whole thing. But again, we don't want to get partisan here yeah and we're you won't hear us endorsing candidates or no. like no. bringing up specific individuals a lot there yeah. we do have some opinions on exploitative systems and that sort of thing where if honestly if you've been listening to the podcast closely for the past almost eight years you've picked that stuff up yeah we're, exactly. we're just going to be slightly less concerned about being vague (laughs) yeah that's really what it comes down to is we're not going to be silent about it anymore can i also just say i i think that if we had not been doing the series that we are currently doing i don't know that i'd have been pushed enough to go political on the show at all because we're we're literally talking about morality this is the gamified morality series and I think that this series, we were doing it at a, at a very opportune time. Yeah, and it is interesting that we are wrapping up with what is considered, in many cases, or certainly in the AD&D sense, kind of the bottom end of evil. Like there, It's very clear that like lawful good is the bestest good, and chaotic evil is the evilest evil in the AD&D approach. So we're yeah. going to we're going to talk 
about that once we get to our main topic, but it is kind of... Serendipitous, maybe? Yeah, yeah, we'll go with serendipitous that we are talking about that tonight. We certainly did not plan for the entire world to burn down no. around our ears in 37 different ways when we no. began doing this series late last year. And it should be pointed out, we have about a 10-day back, you know, uh, delay between recording an episode and releasing an episode. Mm-hmm. 10 days after we record this, I have no idea what the state of things will be. 12 days, actually. Uh, 12 days, excuse me. It's crazy, but that's kind of the state of the world we're in right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, aliens may have snagged our entire planet in a huge telekinetic net and dragged it off to a different solar system by then. Who knows? I'm still waiting for that gigantic <laughs> comet to hit, you know, so. Ah, Gen Z humor. Um, I'm, 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 I'm millennial. Yeah, I know. It's, it, it filters up. I'm not yeah. saying it's a bad thing. I think we've kind of hit that enough. We do have a few other things mm-hmm. to talk about here. Specifically, we just wrapped up City on a Hill season two. I don't know if this, ep- I don't think this episode will drop after the last City on a Hill episode of season two. Probably not. It might drop like in between. I'm not sure what Ryan's got planned, but we wrapped that up, had a wonderful climactic episode. I rolled better than I have ever rolled in my entire life in a session. Yeah, that was, was really kind amazing. Of amazing. That was many nat 20s. <laughs> Going back through, I think something like a third to a fourth of all of my rolls were nat 20s. It was insane. Uh, and I rolled multiple ones. It was yeah. like the, the end of the cursed sword arc for poor Bertrand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus a bunch of my dice just maxed out. And then when I let somebody else roll, they rolled a nat 20. It was just <laughs> gross. <laughs> yeah, that was... That was amazing. I'm not sure that my fighter didn't out-damage at least one of the wizards in the party. <laughs> uh, you out-damaged me by a fair amount. You did 32... No, wait, that wasn't That wasn't you. That was the guy with the rapier. I'm, I'm sure you did at one point, but... but yeah, Shem um, did a lot of damage, uh, Shem, Shem did a lot of damage as well. Now, I let him do it, so <laughs> can I claim that? I don't know. You, know, uh, you can take the assist. Yeah, take the assist there we go. That. I'll get like half points. I like that. Yeah, Trether was definitely the MVP in that battle, though. It was holy. Mm, it was insane. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of it was rolling really well, but mm-hmm. I do enjoy building, like, mechanically competent characters who do a thing really well. So when it's like, no, uh, you don't hit me, you don't hit me, you don't hit me. Oh, I saved against that and took no damage instead of half, and then I stopped you from moving. It feels good. <laughs> you know? So... <laughs> It's I will fun. say, I'm glad you stopped the dragon from moving. Me too, because it yeah. was going to charge you and eat you. It was going to right for me. <laughs> and yeah. I would have been consumed. Yeah, I'm, given that yeah. the, uh, its breath weapon did all but one of your hit points the first time yes. it did it. Yeah, it was, uh, was going to be a bad time. Yes. We should but probably anyway, we stop dropping City on a Hill spoilers at this point. Yeah. And, uh, uh, talk uh, about spoilers. We know that spoilers. there's a dragon coming up. Yeah, a spoiler of all spoilers, I should probably mention that I will not be on the next season of City on a Hill. Mm-hmm. Library work is getting real weird, and I don't know what it's going to look like in the next week. So I'm literally just waiting on the municipality to be like, oh yeah, I guess you do have a different building from the town hall. That's literally what I'm waiting on, and then everything's going to hit the fan, including the kitchen sink. That might also hit the fan. Boy, there's there's an interesting mixed metaphor. The kitchen <laughs> sink. My building's falling apart. I don't know what to do. Noise. <laughs> it sounds like the theater my wife worked in for a long time. Oh yeah, the the town council did actually outright mention 
publicly that one of their goals for for this coming year is to actually fix my building. And now they've said it out loud and it's been said in the local paper and now they can't back down or else I'm going to wave that article in their faces constantly. Excellent. I'm going to actually be running an arc for City on a Hill. It's not going to be a full season. It's going to be kind of a mini arc instead of like a one or two episode thing. Ryan's been talking about like four to seven sessions. I don't know exactly how long that's going to turn out. Four to seven is a very widely differing number of sessions. We'll kind of see how it turns out. This is going to be more players than you usually have, too, so that may factor in. Yeah, but, I mean, it's D&D. It, all that does is slow down combat slightly. It's not a big deal. I think it I given, given the City on a Hill crew, I think it does a little more than slow down combat. Okay, you're right. It makes sure <laughs> combat doesn't happen, and then... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Combat? What is this combat you speak of? And then you have to know. turn into an improv GM. Yeah. Oh no. Doing, Things doing that good he GMing. mostly already is. Uh, well, I'm really <laughs> not, but I try my best and I'll learn on the job. It's fine. Other gaming news, speaking of, our D&D game continues. Y'all only mostly died and then found a <laughs> different place to go to and have been kicking button there. We we did find major plot. I have I have enjoyed that you have been sneaking through a monastery and locking people in their rooms. It's been fun. It's been kind of great. <laughs> it's been really great. I've been having a, a huge amount of fun doing that. And just also just deciding like, okay, we basically scouted the whole main floor. Do we really need to fight anybody? Like... <laughs> Like, Peter rolled really good on stealth. Do we need to fight anybody? Yeah, no. I just, I love the reaction. It was like, there's these two guys in this brewery room. You have a key. I'm like, I'm going to just lock them in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a bunch of Durger mercenaries over here. I'm just going to grab one of these pole arms and jam it through the handle and yeah. lock them in. All right. Cool. You know, just, or just, wait, they're all just in their rooms doing things. What if we just leave? Yeah. Okay. We don't need to fight this whole monastery. <laughs> I mean, are you missing out on treasure? Yeah, probably. Have you spent any of the treasure you've gained in the entire campaign? No. no. So who cares? <laughs> we are definitely not the treasure-obsessed adventurers for the most no. part. It, it basically, it's, oh, did you 100% this game? No. Yeah. <laughs> who cares? Yeah. You didn't get the platinum trophy. Darn. Yep. Yeah, so it, that's been a lot of fun. My Star Wars game has also been going really well. I really finally got into my character, which has been nice. I got to talk about this because this is pretty cool. Impulse Drive is the system we are using for this, for the Star Wars game. We decided against Edge of the Empire for a bunch of reasons. We talked about that several episodes ago where there's this whole thing where they don't actually have PDF copies of the game and blah, blah, blah. Impulse Drive, which, by the way, is in the itch.io bundle for racial justice and equality, which is not probably going to be up by the time this episode drops, but you should still pick It'll it up. It'll have ended eight days before this episode drops. Ah, yeah, okay. Still, I would recommend picking up Impulse Drive. It's very inexpensive and is a really good Powered by the Apocalypse take on sci-fi. It does bear mentioning that it's in there, because if the listeners of ours who have picked up that bundle are anything like me, they're looking at... Okay, 55 it's, pages yeah, yeah, of it's games. Yeah, it's the 11th yeah. right now. It's 55 pages of stuff going... What even is in here? 
There's over like 1,300 things in that. So. The impulse drive is one of those hidden gems that you really need to take advantage of. Because one of the things I like about so first off, it's designed to be like Mass Effect or Star Wars or any of those sorts of games, uh, Firefly, where you have a ship that's just as important as everything else. And you have certain roles in the party. You know, you have the weird psychic. You have the guy who solves all his problems with violence. You have the slick character archetypal roles. One of the things I love is that the stats in the game, the primary stats, are not physical or mental descriptors of the characters. They are how good are you are you at solving problems through different approaches. Hmm, that's a, that's intriguing. For example, my my primary stats, like I have a plus two in Stalwart. I'm the the warhorse is the the handbook I've got for my character. Uh, he's a he's a stormtrooper who left the Empire and is now kind of working on his own for this uh, independent space station. He basically was like, nope, hate the Empire, don't like stormtroopers, and I'm striking out on my own. So he's a stalwart character. He's good at solving problems just by being sturdy and being there for people. And that lets him keep, lets him defend people in firefights and reassure them in intimate moments when they bare their souls to him and he's just a reassuring presence. So you completely made Finn from the new trilogy. I mean, a little bit, but also he's an angry drunk. So you made drunken Finn from the new well, trilogy. Like, like much, much angrier than Finn. Okay, you you made Jane Cobb from Firefly playing Finn from the new trilogy. Yeah, that's more that's more accurate. <laughs> uh, but then he's also got volatile, right? He's good. He's good at solving problems. He's good at volatile situations and handling volatile scenes and acting in a volatile way. Right. He can intimidate people and things like that. So my character. So we were sent out to find pirates. I have to keep backing up here. Right. Find pirates and get rid of pirates. And we could have found the pirate ship and blown it up. It was a large pirate ship and it would have been fairly dangerous, but we could probably have like snuck on board, rigged the engine to blow and then blow it up. Instead, we were like, hey, guys, we're totally being pirates now and are currently working to undermine the crew, take over the vessel and convince everyone. Mutiny. Yeah, basically, and convince everyone that joining up with this space station that we're all from is actually probably better for everyone's long-term survival and for getting paid. Okay, so as you described so this, I just went pirates. ahead and downloaded this out of the bundle, and we'll be checking this out like as soon as we hang up the call. It's excellent. There are a bunch of uh, additional ships and, and other handouts as well. I'm not sure if they're in the bundle or not. But the uh, the cool thing about how we're doing it is my character, okay, it's Jane from Firefly, right? He's a big, angry, violent dude. If I were trying to roll this in any other game like D&D, I'd be trying to roll like charisma checks or something to woo the crew over to my side. And that just doesn't work for my character. What I'm doing is I'm using this stalwart approach to basically be, don't worry, guys, you can depend on me and secretly kind of implying much more than like the captain's lieutenants, right? Because they're all jerks. They don't know what they're doing. Trust me, guys. I will keep you safe the next time we raid a ship, and we are absolutely raiding another ship, just to be clear. You know, we got to prove ourselves. So we'll see how that goes. That'll be fun next time. Rather than trying to be like, well, my character can't be charismatic because the fighter guy isn't charismatic. It's, no, he's just dependable, and he makes other people think, I can depend on this guy, and I'm using that as a social thing. Hmm. And it's great. 
And everyone else is kind of doing similar things. Like we sowed a bunch of distrust between, you know, and like really made everybody angry at the captain because the engineer that we have in our group hacked into the uh, the comm system and futzed around with the negotiations between the pirate captain and the guy who's selling all the he's selling the scrap and cargo to and made it angry and made him basically miss a payday because he couldn't come to an agreement. Wow. If the pirate crew doesn't get paid, that's generally not good. Yeah. Yeah. So our engineer managed to do that. And again, you know, if he's trying to like make roles to, you know, fake, you know, to forge communications or something, that's just tiresome and it's not in the wheelhouse and it's not fun. So we're having a lot of fun with this and I really do recommend Impulse Drive. It's a really good game. I'm really starting to get into how it works. It might be my favorite PBTA game that I have ever played. Hmm. That's high praise from you. It's crunchy. I do like crunch, but it's also, I love this idea of stats as approaches to problem solving rather than descriptors of a person. Yeah, I I like that too. That's, that's mm-hmm. a very interesting take on things. I've got an interesting piece of gaming news while we're at it. This is kind of interesting, and I want to actually talk about this a little bit because there's kind of an interesting lesson in here. My Sunday gaming group managed to split the party in the last session. There, there was a whole bunch of stuff that led up to it. The character played by one of uh, the only person other than me that crosses over between the Saturday and Sunday groups, took a a dependable NPC, went off, did a bunch of things, saw an opportunity to do something else, and the NPC screwed up a navigation check and they wound up kind of drifting off to a different part of the archipelago and they're kind of stranded over there. I thought everything was going fine until the, uh, the player started talking like she had let the rest of the group down. And it's like, no, this created a really cool, interesting situation. You're going to you're going to have like a little solo adventure over here and everybody else gets a rescue mission. This is great. Just kind of as you're you're playing stuff, if something like that happens where your party winds up in kind of a weird situation or something because of something that you did, don't necessarily look at that as you failed or you did something bad. It's kind of the, the lesson that I want to take away from that, because yeah. she actually made the story more interesting by doing that and handed me a couple of interesting opportunities to impart some setting lore. And the interesting thing is she and the other NPC that she's with are the two tanks from like a, a combat perspective. So the rest of the party, if they decide they want to fight something, they don't have their meat shields anymore. Like, both of them are off on an island, (laughs) so they're going to have to adjust their tactics if they wind up fighting something and looking to rescue her and the NPC she's with, and yeah, if you're a player and something like that happens because of something you did, don't take it badly. (laughs) That's, 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 uh, if your GM is, uh, I don't want to be arrogant, but if your GM is at all competent or at all invested in the game themselves, they'll be able to do something cool with that. Jenny, you got anything you need to bring up? Nope. (laughs) If it sounds like we're stretching for time, we are a little bit because we don't think our chaotic evil conversation is going to go exceptionally long, unlike our chaotic neutral conversation with Chrissy last time. Yeah, this is probably going to be neutral neutral part two. Like, there's not a lot of nuance here, but yeah, Yeah, we'll do our best, but. Don't worry, we're, you're not in for too long an episode, we promise. We're, we're stretching it out for a reason. Speaking of, it's time for our Patreon question. Before I roll Jesus. the die, I have something I want to point out to everyone. I put a blog post out on our Patreon feed about this. But in case some of you don't get email updates or check our Patreon regularly, starting the 1st of July or uh, July 6th, it's one of those two dates. I think it's July 1st. Patreon is... Happy Canada Day, just saying. 
Patreon is going to start applying sales taxes for people who live in states where donations to Patreon creators on Patreon are taxable. Now, not every donation is taxable. Basically, if you get something that the state considers a tangible good, now that doesn't have to mean a physical object, but it might mean, for example, bonus content, things like that, then that could conceivably be a taxable donation. They estimate that less than 50% of their Patreon supporters across all of Patreon are going to have to pay additional sales taxes, but it is a thing, so... Just something to keep in mind, It you, your Patreon bill may go up as a result of this. It's something you need to check into. If you need to make changes to your support levels, we completely understand. Just donating to support people, generally... Which is mostly what you all do. Maybe, because there's a couple of states where getting your name on a list to get randomly picked from might be considered taxable, or right. getting oh. access to things like... The blog post, the little, you know, what's coming up on the show and the state of the show blog post might be considered taxable, but it varies wildly state to state. Also, anybody in the EU automatically has to pay value-added tax on everything because they haven't been able to work that out yet. Now, Patreon has said that they are working on tools to let you sort of declare what rewards should be taxable by certain things and what aren't. So that might then reduce people's tax burden later. But I just kind of want to let everyone know that this is a change that's happening. Read up on the blog post. We put one out. Patreon's got a couple of posts about it on their main feed. So make sure you read those. If it's a a big deal for you, because budgets are tight, it's not an easy time for anyone right now. So, you know, if you need to cut back, we get it. Okay. We're, we're fine. We, yeah, we absolutely understand, you know, and yeah, it's, it's easy to say, well, it's just a couple of cents or something, but it adds up, especially if you're supporting a lot of people on Patreon. We get it. Don't feel bad. Yeah. All right. We will survive. Yeah, yeah. That's what <laughs> yeah. it comes yeah. to. And we'd rather you support people who need this money to live, right? We love that you support our show, but if it and it helps us stay on the air, but if you have to make a choice, we can get by without it. You know, it's not easy. As much as we love this, it is a hobby yeah. for us. We, we make no personal right. money and off a, of... More than a hobby, it is a mission in a lot of, you know, that's how we kind of approach it. But it is definitely something. In terms of money. Economically speaking, it's (laughs) a We're not living off that funds. I am not not paying income taxes on it. Because if we were, we would all be starving. (laughs) Basically, I'm not paying income taxes on it. And that tells you everything you need to know. Having said that, it's time to roll on that big table of questions. I have my die here. Let's see if my dice luck is still hot or not. We shall see. Uh, no, rolled a one. And okay. He rolls it off the table. Um, we did David uh, Hastings last time, so we got another one from Douglas Underhill. What is your biggest pet peeve for players? And then he also has for GMs and DMs. Pet peeve. Edgelords. Uh, yeah, edgelords yeah. are a good one. Uh, to, to a degree. Is that a, to a degree. Okay, hang on. Is that a pet peeve or is that like a serious at the table concern is this like the most because i feel like pet peeves are minor things like for me my my biggest pet peeve in life is people who don't put their shopping carts up in parking lots which is very minor and also just infuriates me to no end that's like what i define as a pet peeve it it depends on the severity there there's a certain kind of edgelord that will deliberately violate safety techniques and that sort of thing 
And that is a legitimate problem. Yeah, you just problem. get that guy out of there. Yeah, that's, that's not beyond what I'm talking peeve. about here. I'm talking about the guy that has to play a vampire in every single game, no matter what kind of genre you are okay. in. So that's what I'm talking I about. I actually, <laughs> I have grown to love that because it tends to end up more adorable to me than annoying. Like, when I first started running the game for kiddos at the library, one of the kids who came in, unfortunately, she moved away like literally the, a week later. Military town, what are you going to do? Her character, she was like, she came up to me and she was like, how dark can I go with a character? And I was like, no big swears, please. And I prefer no necromancy, but I mean, you can play a vampire if you want. She's like, you could play a vampire? <laughs> and it was the most adorable thing because she's yeah. 12. After a certain point, I can sort of understand not really wanting that. But I also, maybe maybe it's the, the goth in me, but I think it's kind of cute. Just like, oh, you, you sweet summer child. You don't know anything about anything. Nurture your gothlings. <laughs> they grow up to be wonderful people. Yeah. I hope she's doing well. I hope she, because she kept her character for, sheet. For those that are not in on, on this statement, Grant's wife is pretty gothy. <laughs> Secretly goth, yes. Yeah. I don't know what my big pet peeve is as a player at the table. I can tell you what mine is as a GM, and that's when there's a bunch of conversation happening when it's time for the game to start, and it just the game doesn't start because everybody's talking. And I absolutely get that this is a social thing. But, you know, when it there's a reason that so you're at Applebee's is a running joke at the table because <laughs> it's just can we call you back down? Right. As much as I love the city on a hill group, the tendency to just take a chain of puns and run with it. And, you know, <laughs> it's just like, guys. It was funny the first five times. Now we're just stretching it out for time. Can we can we get back to doing things like that? That just kind of constant table talk, which is not to say that we can't have conversations at the table. But when it's just it feels like we're just ignoring the game that gets frustrating. Like if there's yeah. a side conversation happening, 100 percent there for it. Roll 20 is amazing because we can have like text conversations happening while we're playing. And I love that. I just, as a GM, I want to keep it moving. Some of the best RP that I think we've had in the Saturday <laughs> game for this campaign has yeah, been, been in completely the text silent chat. in yeah. the Roll Twenty chat. I know it's it's kind of yeah, hilarious. and like we'll type lol and not laugh out loud because there's something else going on in, I know. in the main part and it's, of the game. It's hilarious that that happens. I'm glad we're not recording. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also want to acknowledge something about my pet peeve real quickly because. If I didn't acknowledge this, it would display a shocking lack of self-awareness. I fully acknowledge that whatever the opposite of an edgelord is, that's me. <laughs> I, I, I tend to play over-the-top, good and virtuous characters, and I know that can be annoying to some people, too. So I, I will confess to that crime, totally guilty. Bertrand was not that different from Lambert, except for Lambert wasn't as funny. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, you got yeah. more comfortable with that character archetype and made that into Bertrand, basically. You could, it's Lambert with jokes. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, I have so few pet peeves at this point that are not directed immediately at myself. I am constantly my own worst cringe, and I. I and I've just learned to accept that. I hate it when I forget all my books at home, and I'm supposed to be like, then this, this happens all the time at work. I've had to ask my parents multiple times. I've had to call them at work and be like, mom, I forgot my lunch and also all my rule books and also my dice and also my meds for the morning. Can you bring those in for me, please? 
<laughs> so just, just fill I'm up my the big own worst sack pet and bring it to me. <laughs> I have a cow bag. It's got a big cow in a, a floaty thing, like one of those floaty ducks. That's my that's my gaming bag, and I forget it almost every week, bare minimum once a month at work. I am my own worst pet peeve, and it's just like the little forgetty things. I've got a GMDM one right off the top of my head. The roll for everything, GM. Yeah. I would like mm. to cross the street. Roll athletics. Seriously? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I have uh, stories that I cannot repeat on air about that sort of game, and... Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, a lot of the time it's not as bad as some of your stories, of which I have heard at least a few. Well, you were there for all of them, so... <laughs> <laughs> not as the GM. Eh, fair enough. Um, <laughs> that that can that can be an annoying one, because it slows play down so much, and it's like the GM is fishing for failure states a lot of the time, and it's just like, why? Well, or I think some of it, and maybe we're taking this too seriously, I think it's fishing for action. Right. Could the be. Idea is yeah. like, whoa, 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 whoa. I will Don't buy we that have too. to interact with the system here? No, we can just say yeah. that we do things. Or, well, I, I don't want to make this seem like it's on the rails, so roll and let's see what happens. Well, okay, I get that, but introducing randomization into everyday things doesn't make it interesting. It makes it tedious. Roll, roll when either outcome is interesting. Yeah, that's it. it both it, outcomes yeah. have to be interesting. One of the games you were talking about it's like you know a gm was like okay well literally it was roll to open the door i'm like dude this is a hotel room door i have the key to (laughs) i i said some fairly foul things at the time you know but it was just like we don't need to do that and i occasionally find myself saying roll for this not because i want you to fail but because i kind of want to pick a player who figures things out as much as anything else, where it's like, okay, who's going to roll the highest on this Arcana check? Hey, here's something you know, right? I sort of, I do that yeah. sometimes in our game, and I don't know if that's a good idea, because I could probably just go like, all right, who's got the highest Arcana score? Yeah, you know X, right? But it's kind of fun to pass the knowing things baton around sometimes, but it also never matters in our game, so who cares? Yeah, but it's also sort of funny for, like, the flavor uh, just just because, like, every now and then it's like, yeah, roll me an arcana check. Barbarian with no experience in magic suddenly knows this, just remembers this obscure little trivia thing. Because <laughs> yeah. that's how my mind works. I ha- I'm sure I have trivia in there that I've, for- like, forgotten, but I, I-, yeah. I assume there's going to be some sort of trigger moment where I'm just like, oh, I suddenly remember everything I learned in grade three history about... I just remembered what my grade th- three history classes were about, and I made a sod house out of actual sod, and that was fun. You never know. You just never know. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that, too, because it'll flavor the knowledge a little differently, and that's kind of yeah. cool, right? Mm. Like, kind of to dovetail with what you were saying, if the cleric remembers something about religion, well, then that'll go back to their specific religious training. Yeah. Uh, they probably picked it up in the temple. If the fighter remembers something about religion, well, that's interesting. Why does he know that? Where did he pick that right. up? And sometimes I can come up with an interesting explanation for that on the fly, and sometimes it's like, eh, you heard this from, you know, passing priest, and you just happen the, the to remember The correct answer it. there, then, is, cool, how do you know this? Right, yeah. pass the yeah. buck yeah. to the Putting it on the players is something I need to do more often, but... Just, like, as a little thingy for cool instant character development. 
uh, yeah. opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Again, though, I really only do this with knowledge rolls. I never try and do this with, like, perception yeah. or you know, anything physical where it's like, okay, you know, do you get through this, right? Stealth checks are the rare exception because sneaking through something you know, failure is meaningful, success is meaningful. And it's also one of the few things that you can really flavor well. Like, if the paladin in full plate, who has a literal stone body, somehow manages to get the highest stealth roll, there's probably something amusing yeah, to say Yeah, but, you know, I was thinking about this. Yeah. This has been bothering me for a couple of weeks now, actually. In the D&D game I'm running, you guys were sneaking through this monastery, and Sigvard, your character, Peter, was doing an amazing job getting through, and then... I just like, all right, roll stealth to get through here. And one person failed and it negated 30 minutes of sneaking you had done prior to that to find everyone, see what was up. Some good came of that because you then, you know, were like, okay, well, all the monks in the scriptorium are dead. I can go in there and find out historical information about what's up, which I know Jenny loves to find, right? Oh, papers? Yes, absolutely. Yes. And I don't know that you would have... We know about the know pants, about pants now! We know things about the pants! <laughs> and we're not going to explain that one at all. That symbol. Absolutely not. You know, so there's there's advantages, to, you know, to, to making things happen. i fine. But it definitely has been bothering me that it's like, okay, Peter did all this work, succeeded at everything, and then I called for a role that negated all of that real work he had done. Yeah, when I'm working with the kids, the method that I use for anything where I'm making everybody rule basically the same thing, unless someone does absolutely stellar, then I take it as a combined average roll and I just sort of average it out in my head like, hey, did everyone do all right-ish? Because if that means that I'm putting on the kid gloves, I'm working with actual yeah, children. Fine. Who cares? Right. <laughs> I'm putting on the kid gloves for actual children. I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that kind of thing would work with every group, but it might negate some of the negation. Yeah, or it could be instead uh, of, okay, and you start about. a fight, it might have been, okay, my wife's character, Irsa, Someone's suspicious. makes a noise. What do you do? And everybody scrambles and, like, hides behind right. furniture and Make stuff. Right, something has happened instead of, oh, you you know, somebody made their perception check. Fifteen monks attack. <laughs> I could have handled that better. We've beaten my pet peeve to death. What are well, you? Well, I yeah. already said mine, you know, is the table talk. Yeah, that's Grant. Yeah. Jenny, Jenny yeah. disclaimed the idea of pet peeves entirely. Yeah, well, th that was for players. Okay, do you have one as a GM? For GMs. Yes, and again, it's directed immediately at myself. I often forget that my players aren't in my head. I know exactly what the city that Peter and I built looks like. I have a perfect image of that, and then I forget to describe it to the kiddos, and they're like, where are we and what are we doing? <laughs> yep. So I, at that point, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I didn't tell you anything about the setting that we're in right now. And that's just a thing you learn. I can be guilty of going too far in the other direction. Like, I'll be, mm. you know, describing how an elevator works, and thank goodness my players found that interesting, but we got to the end of it, and I was like, I didn't need to tell them nearly that much about how this platform <laughs> is lifted by, like, animate tree branches and stuff. I could have just said yeah. you rode the elevator up, you know? I will say one thing I have improved on is I've gotten pretty good about immersive character descriptions. Nice. I'm still very proud of the spider that I made. I think that may have been, that was not the last session that we did but it was one of the last sessions that we did before all this most recent nonsense. I'm pretty dang good at describing characters, and I think I've been leaning on that a little too hard, and I need to just 
you know, get better at describing buildings. Buildings are tough, though. Buildings are really hard. Douglas, we may have turned your question into an entire topic. Sorry about that. But yeah. thank you for the question. It was very good. <laughs> yeah, we spent, what, about 20 minutes uh, on Yeah, that well, I mean, we're 45 <laughs> at least, minutes in. At least. That's, okay, that's par yeah. for the course for the Douglas Underhill I know, question, but seriously, though. we're 45 yes. minutes into recording, and we haven't actually yes. gotten to our main topic yet. This is going to be... We haven't even done our scripture yeah. yet. We should probably we do that. Should. Yeah. All right. Uh-huh. Uh, Doug, thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. And if you want to get your own questions in, support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash saving the game. We get lots of rewards. Go check them out. There's a bunch of good stuff you, you get for supporting us. Let's read our scripture and then let's get into this whole chaotic evil business. 1 Kings chapter 18 verses 25 to 29. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. This is Isaiah thirteen seventeen through 18. See, I will stir up against them the Medes, who do not care for silver, and have no delight in gold. Their bows will strike down the young men. They will have no mercy on infants, nor will they look with compassion on children. And Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 through 38. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. So we are wrapping up our nine-parter here with Chaotic Evil, the last of these alignments, arguably the worst of the worst, the most hated and cursed, the one that we call Scrooge. <laughs> Scrooge is awful. What are you talking about? Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Scrooge is <laughs> awful. I said the worst of the worst. I had to finish the verse because that's how I'm programmed. <laughs> The worst of the yes. worst. <laughs> so, some quick common baselines. Put it in the first and let's get on we're, with we're it. We're going to let me recover real quick <laughs> while I explain our common baselines. So, lawful right. doesn't necessarily mean law-abiding. Chaotic doesn't necessarily mean random, right? We've been talking about these more as kind of orientations towards society. And uh, good and evil should be fairly self-explanatory. We have a bunch of episodes, things like virtues and vices, and a bunch of other episodes in this series, and... A bunch of theological episodes to go back and listen to if you're a little unclear on that or, you know, go ask a friend for help. Let's do the second edition one. Chaotic Evil. Dun, dun, dun. These characters are the bane of all that is good and organized. Chaotic evil characters are motivated by the desire for personal gain and pleasure. They see absolutely nothing wrong with taking whatever they want by whatever means possible. Laws and government are the tools of weaklings unable to fend for themselves. The strong have the right to take what they want, and the weak are there to be exploited. When chaotic evil characters band together, they are not motivated by a desire to cooperate, but rather to oppose powerful enemies. Such a group can be held together only by a strong leader capable of bullying his underlings into obedience. 
since leadership is based on raw power, a leader is likely to be replaced at the first sign of weakness by anyone who can take his position away from him by any method. Bloodthirsty buccaneers and monsters of low intelligence are fine examples of chaotic evil personalities. And we have 5th edition, chaotic evil characters act with arbitrary violence spurred by their greed, hatred, or bloodlust. Demons, red dragons, and orcs are chaotic evil. I'm going <clears> to <throat> buy you a... Went a little Frank Oz there, but yeah, it's okay. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, so, hot takes uh, all right, on these Hang on, takes. I'll read it flat. No, 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 I'll do it flat. Fifth edition, chaotic <laughs> evil creatures act with arbitrary violence spurred by their greed, hatred, or bloodlust. Demons, red dragons, and orcs are chaotic evil. Uh, hot takes on these takes. Um, <laughs> first thing I want to point out, the AD&D 2nd edition one continues to conflate good and organized. Does it, though? I mean, it, it yeah. references them both at the same time, but it it references them as separate concepts. Yeah, I think it's it's talking about how I think it's interpreted as like, yes, it's the the opposite of the goodest of good. But I think it's more that it's talking about how it's diametrically opposed on the grid. Yeah, maybe I may be reading too much into it, but it's always sort of been like lawful good is the bestest good, like I said earlier, and yeah. chaotic evil is the worstest evil. You know, it does kind of yeah. feel like it's doing that. I don't have too much of an issue with the second edition one, weirdly enough. It's, yeah. I mean, there's some things I don't love. Like, I mean, we just came from chaotic neutral. For I know. Goodness yeah, sakes. that one was yeah. awful. <laughs> the one thing I don't like about this is, first, it feels like it's missing a few possible types of chaotic evil. But that's been kind of par for the course. They used yeah. about, I don't know, a hundred extra words to not include quite as much as could have been said. The other thing I don't like is the monsters of low intelligence are fine examples. Yeah. Like, that bothers me. I get that they are going for things like ogres. Right? Or owl bears. Brutish. Even in a lot of editions, owl bears were chaotic right. evil. Nature, red in tooth and claw, but then with this low cunning and bestial instinct and brutish, you know, nature. But that's... a that's a lot of problematic right there anyway. Mm -hmm. And there are a bunch of low intelligence creatures that are not chaotic evil. They're either unaligned or neutral or sometimes lawful because they live in organized societies. And that's fine. Yeah, there's a few that are even good. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like a blink dog is not that smart. It's actually you know. they're as smart as an average person. I think they're yeah, okay. depends on the depends on depends on the uh the edition. I bl I wanna say three point five had them at like twelve, thirteen. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I think I'm they're about the same them. in five E. They're I'm, they're I'm surprisingly them. smart. Fair enough. So, yeah. Fair enough. But yeah, like I, I understand they're going for like ogres and trolls. Yeah. But it still feels kinda icky. Yep. Yeah. I feel like they could have defined that better as like, you know, brutish monsters or something like that, which is yeah. not great. Which is still not the bestest, but I can see the pressure not the Gage worst and they Jenny done. rising here. We should probably let her let this out. All right, yell about ah, orcs. Orcs aren't bad. Orcs aren't bad. I know. I, I hate this. I just want to have cool tusks. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, and again, <sighs> You know, I can forgive it very slightly in, like, 2nd edition, but by 5th edition, yeah. really, we ought to just know better by now. No. This is the worst one. It's so bad. And it, it's, it feels like it's playing into that one bit of 3rd edition where it was like, you, you can only make a half-orc one way 
terrible implications here. Yeah. Oh, it riles me. Because every other setting that they've ever published doesn't do that. So at this point, why is that the default? Yeah. I have a four-word take on orcs, and Jenny is going to probably remember this particular NPC. Vanaya mm. the Swift Arrow and her yes. band of orcs that you drank with in the bar that one time. Yes. Yes. That's all I've got to say about the orcs are always evil thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're nice. we're not in the game, which is everybody listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> they, the parties in the motorcycle game ran into a band of certainly not evil, probably predominantly good aligned. I don't think I ever actually figured out their alignments. Orcs from um, a society that was in a different part they of the They were mostly, what, just chaotic biker? Yeah, chaotic, chaotic friendly chaotic biker, biker. I think it was probably the yeah, more, like chaotic friendly might be a, a better description. But yeah, they yeah, were really they, nice. They, they Obviously, were people. It, we can homebrew a lot of stuff, right? The thing is, D and D has actively pushed to have a lot of orcs and half orcs in their published settings not be the default of chaotic evil. They've pushed that mm-hmm. off onto other things, and yet this is still the default. Yeah. yeah. And that, yeah, that's frustrating. Really it plays into a lot of racial stereotypes, too. Yeah. There are a couple of, of articles that I can probably dig up. I, I say dig up. I was reading them like last week um, yeah. that I, I can pull find out your again browser very history. easily. Yeah. Again, that, that idea of like brutish and bestial creatures who are uh, lower than it. us. It's so gross. I hate it. It's yeah, extremely it's, gross. I, okay, so I, since oh. we've, we've we've decided to take this particular shackle off of ourselves, it's the exact same language that gets used to describe real, real world tribal cultures by colonizers, and it's not okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. it's a real problem. It's a very big problem. Also, there's some issues with, with green skin colors and Jewish people, but that's a whole other... Yeah, that's what I'm thing. not personally as familiar with but that doesn't mean it's not there so yeah there's 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 some it's it generally comes in the form of green-skinned goblins Mm, and i'm gonna leave it at that yeah okay fair Um, okay um all right so chaotic evil as an alignment this for me is i keep saying this about all of these alignments this is one of my favorite alignments for npcs who are going to be villains it's either chaotic evil or lawful evil for me because lawful evil you have this whole structured and society and organization and they're making plans and all that sort of thing but chaotic evil just as a gm lets me just sort of be that jerk at the table everyone hates it's very easy bad guy alignment to play because you're not in it for anybody other than yourself yeah and that doesn't mean it's not effective it's just Mm -hmm. oh yeah this is just something that is chaotic and dangerous and will cut you it's often portrayed as kind of a not very smart form of evil um it's it's very glandular (laughs) in a lot of ways we were talking about id driven yeah characters Mm -hmm. in the last one this is definitely playing into like the or it can play into a lot of the base instinct i'm only driven by you know what i want that very selfish and again very uncivilized sort of this thing. is past the id and into some kind of like dark superego sometimes though yeah so for me this is the serial killer alignment like the movie serial killer especially mm. where it's i have deep you know i have dark needs that i can only sate through violence and torture and evil q edgelord sorry sorry well, yeah, yeah it is also the edge it is absolutely the edgelord alignment tell me i'm wrong no 
No, no okay. I will not tell you're, you you're wrong. Yeah, no. <laughs> the character that the Edgelord wants to play is absolutely that chaotic evil, I'm um, just, you know, acting out against society and doing evil things because it makes me feel good. And it's like, uh, no, you're just being a villain. And, and you wonder yeah. why Stop. this is my pet peeve. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that I want to call out before we get too far into this is while this is kind of frequently portrayed as a character who is, like I said earlier, very glandular, you know, it's, it's that id-driven, impulsive, vicious kind of thing. There are some plotters in this. They're even scarier in a lot of cases. I mean, the archetypal one is the Joker, uh, particularly any time that Mark Hamill is voicing the Joker. <laughs> yeah. The somewhat made more safe for the consumption of young people version in Batman the Animated Series, and then that exact safe, same character with all of the safety filters removed in the Arkham Knight, Arkham City, Arkham Asylum games from Rocksteady. Or like the Dark yeah. Knight, uh, the Dark Knight stuff that Frank Miller did, that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. Although I would argue anything that Frank Miller did, Batman is probably almost as bad, but that's a whole different conversation. Well, right, but we're talking about the Joker specifically. For me, you know, I, I keep saying serial killer, but for me, that's kind of the archetype here. You can still absolutely have a plotter who is chaotic evil in this case. H.H. Holmes is kind of my go-to serial killer for this. You know, built a giant torture mansion in the middle of downtown Chicago, I think it was Chicago, or some major city, you know, in the late 1800s. Horrifying person. He's still out pretending to be normal. He's making all these complex plans. He's building this incredibly complicated saw-like labyrinth in this house that he owns, this massive mansion. But he's still... Very much that chaotic evil, I'm only in this for me, I'm, you know, I am torturing you because it does something for me and I don't care about you, driven entirely by a, a horrible inner desire, that kind of character. So we're talking about this stuff, and I feel like this is a really good place in the conversation to step in and say, make sure you're observing your safety techniques when you're depicting these people, because yes. it can go yeah. off the rails in a real big hurry. We have probably talked about torture more in the last five minutes than we have in the entire last seven years of this podcast. Now, it should be pointed out, not every chaotic evil character or villain has to be a sadist. that extreme. Yeah. You, know, no, right? yeah. I mean, you can have somebody who's just a little bit on that, you know, just, just a little bit towards that alignment. There's, they, do they fall into that category? Sure, fine, whatever. Indiscriminate thieves. Identity thief or something. Although I think we maybe give that as a lawful example, but no, like... It depends on how you go about it. Yeah. yeah. You, uh, internet troll. Yeah, the, the standard internet troll. I think it's also... You can play this as incredibly cowardly. We were talking oh, about sure. this a little <laughs> bit with neutral evil as well. I think chaotic evil can be incredibly cowardly, incredibly wimpy. And as it, as soon as you pull away the curtain, it's this this cowering... Sniveling you know, little, yeah. Sniveling yeah, mess. Somebody small trying to feel big. Yeah, by, by the chihuahua. Down Sorry. Sorry, that's mean. But like the intense Napoleon complex sure. of of the, uh, the evil alignments. Yeah, I think so. It is still, in a lot of cases, very much driven by base need, in this case for approval and for, you know, to, to sate their ego. I don't know about approval because because here's here's my thing about the chaotic alignments in general. Well, I'm talking about the, the small person that you were just talking about. Okay. Like in that case, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. talking about approval. In that case, that specific case. But in general, with the chaotic alignments, it is not especially... 
the actions taken are not especially concerned with what society approves of. Yeah, it is very inward. Very much inward. They don't care about social gain. What they care about is causing pain to others. In, and they don't care about necessarily about social gain from that. I don't want to look good to others. They might not even necessarily care about obtaining power from the, the pain that they cause. They just want other people to hurt. I would even go so far as to say that you could very much have somebody who is chaotic evil who simply cannot empathize with others. And whatever their actions are, they don't care about the pain that they cause others. It just doesn't occur to them. They're so selfish and so inwardly focused that there is zero empathy for others. They can just, they want what they want and they'll take what they want. And your mm -hmm. feelings don't factor in because why would I care? You're, you're not a person to me. You're just something I'm taking from. They're not actively seeking to cause pain, but... It's the most efficient, so who cares? Yeah, this is yeah. also, and this I think we'll get into some of the examples that Jenny wanted to use. Uh, this is also the alignment of incredibly disproportionate revenge. Revenge? Uh, I don't know. You could very much have a, a lawful, evil, vengeful plotter type. You yeah. could. I think what you're talking, you might be talking about, in this case, more of like just a blind fury. Let's let's so let's let's yeah. nail that down a little more where we're talking more about the I have to get back at you for every slight no matter what. I think it would also depend heavily on the immediacy possibly you because we are focusing so inwardly you have done something to harm me. I'm going to harm you back even more. Yeah. Yeah, this is you spilled my drink so I'm going to beat you to death with a bar stool. Yeah. yeah. Or I demand satisfaction. You know this is the dumbest possible example, but like Starscream from the Transformers cartoon comes to mind. Incredibly fragile ego, always looking to get revenge for any imagined slight, always looking to overthrow Megatron. But but that's a good point, because that goes back to what we said in Neutral Evil about evil being petty. Yes. Yeah. It is petty. It's very petty. It's I think it's petty, petty but but differently. I think it's I think it's more the 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 blind rage mm -hmm. petty it, it's the difference between a karen trying to get someone fired by talking to the manager and the person where you got my drink wrong i'm gonna tip your drink machine that's fair that's a i it's hard to say exactly which one the the karen falls into like i do think both yeah. of those could conceivably be chaotic oh, evil sure. depending on the, like the level of reaction but uh, but i think you're absolutely right that the person who you know oh your order's wrong i'm gonna throw a fit in this convenience store is absolutely yeah. that that idea of mm -hmm. i wear my emotions on the sleeve have no control over them and don't particularly care to because i'm just going to act out 100 yeah. percent that now, you, that does, again, I want to stress, this doesn't mean that all chaotic evil characters are like that. One of, one of the things that we have mentioned earlier in the series that, uh, that we should bring up here, too, is that adjacent alignments bleed into each other. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about here, if it sounds similar to what we said in the neutral evil episode, you're right, it does. Uh, mm -hmm. Adjacent alignments bleed into each other. If you're really deeply focused into the evil portion of things and not so far over into the chaotic, well, then it's going to look very similar to have a neutral evil and a chaotic evil character there. I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about, like, the end times cultist, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, fun fact, Borderlands 2 was on uh, the Epic Game Store for free uh, a week or two ago, and I'm finally playing through Borderlands 2. 
And boy, is that game chock full of crazy cultists who uh, just want to end the world or uh, literally set themselves on fire. Yeah. And guess what? That hundred very much archetypal, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that has a place in a lot of games, right? Oh, the world has gone mad. Oh, these people are just completely entranced by some alien entity. That's fine. But that is in this category. Mm-hmm. Handsome Jack is definitely somewhere on the non-lawful evil side of the spectrum. I'm not sure if I'd call him neutral or chaotic. You'd think he was lawful because he's a corporate guy, but his behavior is so impulsive and... And his corporation is not... I would not put his corporation's alignment in lawful at all, based on their actions. The fact that he has a corporation is just a tool for him. I do think he's in that chaotic evil category. I haven't finished the game yet, mm-hmm. FYI. Uh, yeah. but and I and I uh, my gl- game glitched out oh, and no. I can't progress anymore. Oh, that's so awful. have to do a full uninstall reinstall on that. The impression I get is that the corporation is a tool to his own power. Right. Yeah. And I think that definitely puts him in that chaotic evil camp where he'll gladly throw over whatever whatever he's got, because there's a whole corporation of people working for him and he doesn't care. Oh, the, the corporation is absolutely the club that he hits anything that sticks up with. And so I think that is that chaotic evil. But again, it's somebody somebody who is intelligent, who is a planner, you know, very much not a bestial creature in certain ways. Yeah. He still sort of lets that id out in a lot of like the scenes you get with him, the the little voice recordings and that sort of thing where he's just wantonly killing people for fun. Yeah. Right? So you get that, but he's not dumb. He uses a whole corporation and fools a bunch of people and has sales pitches and things like that. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's a he's very hateable. <laughs> I love the writing for him. Oh he yeah. He's an awful person. My wife and I are still telling jokes about butt stallions, so, you know. (laughs) He's actually probably a good transition into just kind of like the general chaotic evil archetypes, because, I mean, we've kind of hit a couple of these already, but one that we haven't hit so far that I have seen a few times in media or have actually seen espoused as a real worldview on the internet, which has caused me to lose faith in humanity, is the zero-sum fanatic. The idea that you are constantly and always in competition with every other living being and that anything that benefits anyone else, no matter where they are, has been stolen from you. I'm sure if I thought about this hard, I could come up with several anime antagonists who embody this philosophy. I'm sure you could. That sounds very anime. Like, it seems extremely anime. It's very anime. You're right. It is absolutely the kind of thing that you can throw into a game where it's somebody who, oh, something nice happened? That is something that did not come to me, and therefore I lost out. And I cannot have that. Yep. And and I will seek revenge for this, you know? It's like... Yeah. Fun fact, I think that's a lot of the villains in the D&D game that I am running. This uh, It's based on Temple of Elemental Evil. And these elemental princes and that sort of, you know, and their prophets are very much in the, I'm going to take over with my element and everything is going to be that element. And if there is anything left, it's an affront to me. The entire world must burn. The entire world must drown because if it didn't, that's a loss. Yeah. Not, hey, (laughs) the entire world must blow away. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, um, is there, is there anything that isn't that left? 
well, then that cannot be tolerated. Which makes them fantastically cartoony D&D villain. Yeah, exactly. But you have these big organized cults that embody this very selfish principle at their core. I think we should maybe also touch on how I've seen a lot of people try to put rabid animals in this category, and I don't think that fits. I think that's just unaligned. The The animal doesn't know that it is causing extreme damage to others. The chaotic, evil individual absolutely does know that they are causing harm to others. Have you guys seen Brotherhood of the Wolf? Yes, of course. Nope. You haven't, Jenny? What is it? It's a movie. Yeah, you, you'd, movie. you'd think it was absolutely fantastic. Brotherhood of the Wolf is a, a movie about the Beast of Gévaldan in France. Oh. Yeah, it's very fantastical, but it's that doesn't mean it's not a really good action horror movie with Native Americans and prissy French people. It's one of the best action horror movies. It, it really is good. It's like 17th century France horror kung fu. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I'm intrigued. It's also in my five years of perfect movies. It's obviously that's not true. It's pretty good. I would recommend it. Yeah, that looks very good. Oh, I've heard of the French title. <laughs> the Beast is not chaotic evil. The people who created the Beast, on the other hand, absolutely are. Mm. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with you there. The next one that we've we've kind of talked about, like the bloodthirsty berserker enough already, I think just constant unremitting, unyielding fury wants to rip everybody they see apart with their bare hands. Not very interesting. Another one, this is like your spree killers. And I mean, like, the you know, the, the Joker is probably the most interesting version of this, but it's indiscriminate violence. I think indiscriminate violence is a little different from that. But yeah, I mean, I, you can yeah. you can add flavor to it. Let's not completely write it off. All of these are useful for villains and you can make all of them interesting. There's just mm -hmm. more and less to say about individual ones. The one that I'd kind of like to dwell on a little bit here is the pot stirrer. Yes, the gossip who, who tells straight up lies about everybody in class. There's always one. There were at least two in my grade. Oh, man. And they knew what they were doing. They knew that they were like turning friends against each other. I know of some friendships that were ruined for life because of one person who told two lies. If, if anybody does right anything people. for the lulls, they're in this category. This is your internet trolls. This is just winding people up because they find it amusing. This is this is literally just causing chaos and trouble to watch the suffering and anger it causes. They just want to watch the world burn, as they said in The Dark Knight. And I think there's a lot to be said about people who want to have an impact on others but can only do so by harming. I think that's an interesting villain archetype. Somebody who doesn't know how to impact people through good or doesn't see that as the same thing. There's no such thing as bad publicity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's an approach, but I, I'm thinking more on a personal level. Yeah, no, I'm just, that, that quote is emblematic of this character type. It's wrong, but it's mm -hmm. emblematic of this character type. Next, the evil warlord, the evil pirate, the bandit, the biker gang, and their leader. That's tradition. That's a very common archetype, but it's also very true. Yeah. yeah. The warlord who rules through strength and is overthrown by someone stronger and just ruins everything around them. It's a real thing. It exists. There's lots of historical examples of this. It, it unfortunately happens a lot. Oh, yeah. And that doesn't mean they can't keep order, but ultimately it is all about themselves and the people beneath them are tools for themselves, not a group of people they like genuinely care about. The apocalypse cultist. Yeah, we talked about these a bit. Anything Lovecraftian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything along those lines. 
Although you don't necessarily need fantastical elements, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six novel had a group of essentially apocalypse cultists as the bad guys, and there were no fantastical elements in there except for perhaps his worldview. I am trying not to learn too terribly much about it because uh, I'm doing a, a book reading challenge and, and one of the books I want to like that I have to read for the challenge is a book about a subject you know nothing about. And I'm looking for a book about Waco, Buddy who had that cult in Waco, Texas. Yeah, uh, the Branch Davidians. Yeah. Oh, I guess we're surrounded by military and the building's burning down. Don't try to escape that that kind of cult leader. I just uh, I just started watching the series about that on Netflix a little while ago, and I got to tell you, I'm not sure I'm going to finish it. That is some uncomfortable watching. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, you know, they, they do a pretty good job of showing why that guy was charismatic and had a flock, but it's like, this is a troubled individual. We also talked about serial killers and, you know, indiscriminate thieves, that sort of thing. Con artists are an interesting one as well. I, That's the one that, for me, toes the line between neutral and chaotic. It depends on how they do it and why they do it. And also toe the line between chaotic neutral and chaotic evil, or in some rare cases, even get into chaotic good. But your stereotypical con artist that, you know, rips an old person off of their pension or something like that falls into this category. Yeah, I mean, somebody who's stealing Social Security checks from the mailbox or something. Absolutely. Here's something I do want to talk about. I think chaotic evil, like I said, is a wonderful alignment for villains. Unlike lawful evil, which I could absolutely see having a player character in a group play a lawful evil character, it's really hard for me to find a chaotic evil character's role in a like kind of your typical D&D adventuring party because they aren't serving any greater purpose and they don't have anything to connect them to other people. The typical form for them is everything has to be about them and that doesn't lend itself to doing great things. You can absolutely adventure with Lex Luthor. You can't with Doomsday. Yeah, yeah. How many times have we seen Dr. Doom get pulled in to, you know, do quote unquote good things, you know, Countless times. at a price? Yeah. It usually serves some plan of his, but he can work with others when the when the need arises. Even not at a price, and that's really interesting. Sure. Because he actually believes in something. Exactly. Whereas it's really hard for me to find a good motivation that would suit a chaotic evil character in a game. The times when you see it in media, a lot of the time, like in, in comic books or something like that, it's one of those things where it's like, this particular villain has some ability that we just absolutely need and cannot get anywhere else, either at all mm -hmm. or right now. And the story kind of centers around the heroes keeping an eye on this character and managing them or maybe trying to redeem them or something like that. But yeah, they're a plot device. They're not really a character in that. Yeah. And now, they are exactly the kind of person you can turn on another villain where mm -hmm. it's like... Hey, you know, this person betrayed you. Hey, you know, this person's taking something that you need, right? And then they leap at them in a furious anger, right? And you get them to bring them down. That works well. That's very tropey. It's very much within genre space. But... Yeah, I mean, how many times has Killer Croc been used that way? Yeah, but you can't have that as this person's joining us from the get-go. It's a spur-of-the-moment thing appealing to their spur-of-the-moment decision-making. I wonder... I... Sorry, we, we got talking about, about cults and, like, cosmic horror cults and then real-world stuff. I'm I'm wondering if you could make a heavily... And this would not be D&D-ish at all. I'm sorry. 
so like I, I'm still with you on like the adventuring party thing. Like, yeah, absolutely. That this is very, very hard to do as like a character in an adventuring standard adventuring party. It's very, very hard to do that way. I could maybe imagine it as like you're all chaotic evil and all of a sudden you've realized that there's a bigger evil out there and it's gonna crush you and so you have to crush it before it crushes you. I don't wanna do that. You could probably do it. But I'm trying to think if there would be a way to do a social game, social empathy game about deprogramming former cultists. I'm certain that that exists. I'm sure it exists and I wanna I wanna I wanna see it because it's a fascinating process. That sounds like to something me. you should ask Sarah Lynn Bowman about the next time. Uh, you yeah, talk I was to gonna her. be like, I wonder if Sarah would would know anything about that. One thing I do want to stress, we're kind, I was kind of talking from a perspective of D and D when I say I don't know that you could work this one character into a party. Yeah. If you're playing something like Unknown Armies, oh. you could absolutely have or characters Delta Green. who probably fall into this category, but they are all still part of some organization. You know, they're, They all have their own internal needs that are forcing them to work together in the interim. There's an entire role-playing game about this, and I can't believe we haven't remembered it. What is? Fiasco. You're right! Oh my goodness! Yeah, now, again, yeah, I, it's not necessarily like about it, but it's not cooperative. So it's not party based play, yeah. but you're right. And it's definitely made for one shots. But like, yeah. yes, Fiasco. Yeah. How have we not mentioned Fiasco? Fiasco is an entire group of chaotic evil characters pointed at each other. Not everyone necessarily is chaotic evil, but it definitely lends itself to self-destructive characters. And, and maybe that's something yes. that we probably should talk about here. Most of the people we've talked about with that are chaotic evil, all the archetypes we've come up with, are in some way self-destructive. Yeah, whether they know it or not, yeah. I mean, from a Christian's perspective, all evil is ultimately self-destructive, but this is in a temporal sense. Like, these people will probably have a shorter lifespan because they are this way. Yeah, it's like the epitome of burning bridges. We'll burn that bridge when we get to it. It's it, like, that's the epitome of... And it is that idea of, well, there's always someone stronger. So as soon as there's a moment of weakness, they're going to take me down. There's no support. I don't, I've given up that idea of getting help from anyone because I've given up the idea of helping anyone or I've never understood it in the first place. Nasty, brutish, and short lives. So it would be interesting to see. And, and the funny thing about that is in comics, there are certain villains who definitely, I think, fall into this chaotic evil category who have extremely long lifespans or don't have that nasty British and short kind of lifestyle. Uh, Vandal Savage comes to mind, right? His whole purpose is survival of the fittest. Right. That's literally what he does. It, you know, and he doesn't die. He's tough and lives forever. Yeah, the social Darwinist is another kind of yeah. one that we didn't really hit on specifically. It's kind of like the zero-sum fanatic, but it's different. Yeah, but I think still at the core, there is that thing of, well, ultimately, there's a weakness internally because I can't rely on anyone and I can't do it all myself. I don't have a whole lot more to say about this. I do think it's hilarious that we're like, oh, this is going to be a short episode 90 minutes later. Nah. In fairness, <laughs> you know, the first 45 were a yeah. different episode entirely. Really, though? Fair. <laughs> I think there's a lot of interest here. I have more interest in chaotic evil characters as villains than I do neutral evil. For example, the corners tend to be more they're more extreme. Yeah, there's more there's more to play off. There's more complexity. I like your idea from earlier in the series that the the alignment grid should really be a circle instead of 
you know, tic-tac-toe grid, essentially. Yeah. Because, you know, as you as you pull really strongly towards one of the axes or the other, you wind up in that, you know, neutral blank or, you know, blank neutral territory. So, yeah, these are these are going to be a little more rounded off to continue the analogy than they're two dimensional in that they are engaging with this system on two axes instead of one. And I think that's fine. I'm more interested in this, like I said, but that's for a particular type of Two-dimensional is twice as interesting as one-dimensional in a lot of cases, so... Math checks out, I guess. Yep. (laughs) That's just narrative (laughs) math. (laughs) I do want to hear what other people have to say about this. Yeah. Because I feel like we probably somehow didn't do this justice still, but I'm struggling to think of anything else really to add. Chime in, please. Twitter is a wonderful place for that. Our Discord, of course, there's always a conversation about any episode that comes out, and that's always amazing. Yeah, and we we hit this every episode, but if you're not on our Discord, like, come join our Discord. It's a wonderful group of people. Mm-hmm. They they are not chaotic evil. <laughs> no, no. They're, they're all quite good. Uh, very yeah. supportive, and just a really good group. I mean, I, actually, I think it was Smart, <laughs> oddly enough, I think it was Doug Underhill like, today was on Twitter. Somebody had asked him, hey, you know, what's one of the best communities you've ever you know, heard of? I was like, oh, yeah, the Saving the Game listener community. They're awesome. It's like, Thanks, Doug. You're making yeah, us thank blush Thank you for over the here. plug. Yeah, <laughs> it was very nice of you. When other people are mentioning it as a delightful community to join, that's a good sign. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Twitter, we're on there. We're at Saving the Game. We're on Facebook, Saving the Game. You know, the website is stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org if you feel like typing more. Grant was nice enough to renew that for a couple more years, so we'll keep mentioning that. That's pretty much it. I mean, you can kind of find us around in other places, but we don't, you know, those are kind of the official footprint, as it were. Yeah, well, I mean, we're on Stitcher, we're on Podchaser, Google Podcasts, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts Spotify. We managed to get ourselves on Spotify, so that's pretty cool. Yes, yes, Spotify. Yeah. So we're around, and uh, we would love it if you'd follow us there, because that really does help us. And rate and review us, that helps us a great deal, too. We got a review this week as well, and that was super nice. So thank you. One other thing specifically in regards to Podchaser that we've mentioned before, but it bears repeating, you can rate and review individual episodes there if you are so inclined. We we love feedback. Yeah. Yeah. It really helps us out. We love feedback. We pay attention to it and we use it. So absolutely. Well, we're going to at some point here, probably not immediately, but at some point have a follow up episode talking about alignments. And again, I'm going to try and burn the whole structure down, but that's just me. I'm I'm looking forward to that a lot more now at the end of this alignment series than I was when we first started talking about this. I was like, man, we're going to talk about alignments for nine episodes and a tenth time? Like, we're just going to repeat ourselves. Now I'm no. like, no, we have so much to talk about. <laughs> no. we, have to have, we have to work this yeah. out. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be great. Uh, but we are mm-hmm. working on getting a few other things in the pipeline before then, episodes that we have promised other people to get out, ones that our Patreon supporters have picked, uh, guest episodes, all sorts of things. So, yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to that. It'll be fun, but it's going to be in the near future. We promise. It'll probably be about two to three episodes away from this one. I mean, I don't so, want yeah, like to give specifics because you never know. Yeah, I mean, as it sits right now and as we and as we established at the beginning of this podcast, the world itself has a chaotic alignment right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As it looks right now, two to three episodes from this one. But who knows what 
later this evening will bring. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I know what later this evening is bringing me. It's more night in the woods. So I'm yeah, excited. and I'm gonna check out impulse drive so you should you'll love it i i expect to be getting messages from you like oh this is cool wait really so you're gonna have fun honestly i could have just said peter it's a mass effect game and you would have just (laughs) chased it like i could just (laughs) that that was that was really all it took like book on a stick thing and make you run around the parking lot talk about chaotic evil here all right i think we're done (laughs) good night folks take it easy we'll catch you next time See you, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilore.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.